doing a five-yard out route, 85 versus their guy. He's going to go inside and break out. He won't let him out. Watch. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, your San Francisco 49ers are NFC champions. Mike Vrabel's manhood is still intact, but according to Troy Aikman, the Packers might need to check for theirs. And with me this week to tell us what cheeseburger he'd celebrate with for an NFC championship win, it's David Newman. Man. Put me on the spot right away with the cheeseburger. Give me, so this is what Andy Reid did after he won. He said he celebrated with a cheeseburger and went to bed. Sounds glorious. Perfect. I want to hear your celebratory cheeseburger. Oh, man. There's so many good ones. Um, I would go probably... I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obviously go with a place that's here in Austin. Um, I'm not going like national you know, chain. I think that's a mistake, like but continue. That. Wow, really? Oh yeah, if you get if you get a celebratory cheeseburger, you get any cheeseburger you want, literally on a platter. Mm. Why are you confined by geography? I don't know, because I like the options here. All right, well give me the option yeah. then. Um I'm gonna go hop dotty. Hop dotty? All right. Yep. All right. Good choice. Yep. Good choice. I'm gonna go with Cheval in Chicago. Uh it is the single most delicious cheeseburger I've ever had in my life. Never been to Chicago. Uh it's it's amazing. Uh the city is pretty fun. Cheeseburger, definitely worth it. Uh, let's talk about the NFC Championship game because, man, it was a fun one. And there's so before we actually get into the game, I like, I think Kyle Shanahan is uh, both a savage and like a little dark. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you heard about this, but the, apparently he had a Navy SEAL come to talk to the team the Saturday before the game, yep. and and the Navy SEAL told a story about how sometimes in combat, you, you know, finishing the job might mean drowning an enemy who's scratching and clawing and fighting for his life. And as a soldier, you've got to beat back all resistance, holding this enemy's head underwater until, quote, the last bubble was gone. <laughs> and honestly... Oh, my God. I, I Like, clearly the team took it to heart because that's exactly what they did to the Green Bay Packers. Fuck. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about this. Wow. Yeah, it I was okay. not ready for that. Um, Apparently, the players wouldn't even talk about like the nature of the story the seal shared. They just said that it was like it was just about that, which is wild. Yeah, man. I don't know if that's actually getting me ready to play or just <laughs> making me feel real fucking sad. <laughs> yeah, dude. But I mean, look, the Niners completely defeated, suffocated, beat up, defenestrated. Pick your word. But there was no way that the Packers deserved to be on that field with the Niners. It was ugly, man. I mean, we were watching the game together and it was just like, I, I don't know what it's at some point in the second quarter. We're just like, yeah, God, this is pathetic. I love games like this. It I was just, them. I mean, yeah, it, like as obviously like uh, a, a Niners fan and, and having a strong rooting interest in how the, in the outcome of the game, it's nice when it's decided pretty early like that yeah. and you can just kind of relax. But I mean, like it, it was just, if you kind of step back from that for a second and you just kind of look at things through that green Bay lens and it was just like, this is just awful. Like it's just kind of pathetic what's happening right now. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, there's no, there was, the game was decided at halftime. Um, it, when you look at the, the drives that the Packers had over the course of the game, it was basically uh, their opening drives were punt, 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 fumble, interception, punt. Is that's, that good? That's a hell of a start. <laughs> That's a hell of a start. And honestly, like when for the oh, for the game to get out of hand and for the Niners to be able to run the ball exactly like they did against the Packers, a lot of things have to go right and a lot of things have to go wrong to abandon the pass game in today's NFL. And, and we'll start first with Cal Shanahan's scheme because it definitely got him some wins. And Shan, we've talked a bit about how Shanahan is often viewed as a, a, a wide zone coach and an outside zone coach. But if you want to point to anyone to say, the run game from the Niners is more than just the wide zone. This is the game you point to because they had inside zone, outside zone, they had bend back runs, they had guard leads, they had a fullback lead, they had a crack toss, they had trap plays. I mean, you name it, they ran it and they ran it successfully against the Packers. Yeah, and I think the the fun thing, like the interesting thing to me about how even just when you kind of zero in on the zone run stuff specifically, right? Because that is still like 
that's the bread and butter of what they do, it's right? The that's their soup. Um, it, 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 that's what they do best, um, for sure. And, and so, but when you look at that and you compare it to like other zone running games, I think even what the Niners are doing this season, especially like in this game, was obviously a great example of it. Is is so unique in that it's not the typical like. We're just going to string everything to the sideline, right? We got our offensive line trying to get a bunch of reach blocks everywhere. And it's just like that over and over and over again, right? Um, And what you see from them is using like really a lot more like gap scheme ideas, right? So like when you think, look at plays like power and counter where you've got these pullers, you've got down blocks on the play side, like you're, you're really trying to create these advantageous angles, right? You're trying to give blockers the, the best angle that they can to get to the guy that they need to block. Um, and what you see from the Niners zone game is a lot of wrinkles that are set up like that. You think like some of the bend back stuff that they yeah. do, right? They kind of, a lot of the zone stuff almost reflects like a little bit of that gap scheme idea and that we just want to sit like, I mean, that's why he loves to use a fullback, right? Is, is like when you do that, rather than my uh, double team needing to get up to a play side linebacker, which can be a really tough block to make. Well, now we can work to like a guy that's maybe bumped back, back one backside. Right. And yeah. so that's a much easier angle for my offensive lineman to get up to that linebacker level and actually have a chance, a good chance at reaching that guy and getting to him. Um, and so it's just little things like that, that he does that puts this offensive line in this offense, like in the best possible situation to succeed. And, and the formations certainly help because he knows that, that one of the Smith brothers is going to, is going to basically stay outside the tight end. So he basically motions the tight end, puts him on the edge. And now you've got this huge bubble, this huge gap that you can begin to attack. And that's exactly what the Niners did uh, on one of the, uh, on the first touchdown run to most or that third and eight play. Mike McGlinchey talked about this post game with Matt Mayoko and said that that call, I think McGlinchey and Staley both talked about this uh, on different pods, but the the call was installed specifically because they knew that the Packers were very aggressive and had a lot of exotic fronts on third and longs. And they knew that they, that basically the Smith brothers were going to shoot up field and try to rush the passer and they'd be able to get a long run or a first down off of trap action based on the aggressiveness of those edges. And so what do they do? It's third and eight. It's the second drive after they go three and out. And now all of a sudden, you basically have motion. You've got three receivers to one side. And you've got your back to that side as well. So now you've got four receivers over there. You've got a complete weak side. And and you just basically let the edge rusher go unblocked. And then you let another guy come through and trap him with someone who's pulling. And now you've got numbers on the edge, a wide open gap, and a fast-ass Raheem Mostert who's going to score that touchdown on third and eight. And just no support either because they're all in man coverage. Like exactly. They're, playing cover they're all on the other side. Um, and so, yeah, everybody, like nobody's focused on the run initially, right? They're all kind of keyed in on the receiver that they're in man coverage on. And uh, so, like, uh, there's just no support players there to kind of, like, pursue and even, like, attempt to recover the fact that, yeah, they're down essentially a gap right where this yeah. run is hitting and, and they don't have uh the numbers over there that they need to be able to defend all of that and yeah you just see stuff like that throughout the game i mean that was obviously a a great example and it's just it's wild how often you see kyle shannon you hear stories about him saying like this is what we're, we're going to run this play we're going to call it at this time this is how the defense is going to react and like we're going to score we're going to get a big play on this and like it actually play out that way. Like yeah. it's, it's insane. Well, the, the, the cold open for the show today was from inside the NFL on uh, HBO, I think, or Showtime, one of the two. It's on Showtime because yeah. yeah, I yeah. recorded it if it was on HBO. Um, and, and it was on that pass interference play where he sees that they're in man coverage and, and he looks at the leverage of the defender and he's like, look, he's going to break inside and then he's going to try to come back out and he's not going to let him. Um, and poor Darnell Savage, who I think it was. Uh, no, Redmond. Well, oh, Redmond. it was Redmond. That's yeah. right. Uh, Darnell Savage made his own mistakes over the yeah, course of the game. Yeah, of those. Because, so you talked about the Packers being a, a gap light uh, or being a gap short in the run game, and that happened often. And in some cases, it was done because of the 49ers scheme. But a lot of times, honestly, the Packers just kind of did it to themselves. Uh, and, and there was one play specifically with Darnell Savage where he is basically locked on Kittle. And he has eyes on Kittle. He's not going anywhere else. Apparently, the entire meeting over the course of the week from Mike Pettin to Savage was like, you've got Kittle. Don't <laughs> let him out of your sight. But apparently, Savage just took that to mean, I can't see anything else. Because he completely, he's, he's got Kittle on the edge on, on one of Mostert's long runs. And I actually think it was on a TD run. And Kittle stays in the block. 
but because he's so worried about the damn screen or about anything that Kittle's going to do, he completely vacates the gap that he's got to cover. He's the only support player there. And the C's part and Raheem Mostert does his thing. I mean, they were playing out of position. They were, and even when they were in position, they were not doing so very well. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and it just, just everything was going the Niners way, not just because of the plays they called, but because the Packers defense was just completely out of sorts. Yeah. I, I think it's at, at every level, right? I think, schematically um, you have an advantage with what the 49ers are doing, you know, offensively and, and, and kind of the wrinkles that they're implementing there in the run game um, from a personnel standpoint, just kick the shit out of them. You know, like there, there's a lot of plays where um, it wasn't necessarily like a scheme related issue, right? Where they, they've got the guys down there. They've, they've got another, uh, an eighth man in the box, you know, they're dropping that safety down. They're playing a bare front. They're really trying to, to get the guys in there to sell uh, and, and stop the run. And they just all get beat up front, right? You get you get an entire defensive line reached on one play, right? Or something like that. That's the one thing I didn't notice when I was watching the game live. Because you think to yourself, oh, Mike Pettin, you know, is he going to adjust? He adjusted pretty quickly. By the yeah. second quarter, the Packers are running a bare front. And, and a bare front is basically where you're going to have both your guards and your center covered. And so you've got a nose tackle and people over the guards. This entire formation is intended to stop the run. That's yeah. what it's there for. And then it's- you get you get two outside linebackers. So the way a lot of teams will do it now is like, um, in addition to that, so you've got all three of your interior offensive linemen covered, but then you get your outside linebackers that are wide of the widest blocker that you have in in the box there for the offense. And so you have those guys that are that are supposed to be there to kind of set that set hard edge. edge and make sure everything gets funneled back inside. And then you just have all of those inside guys covered up by the defensive linemen. And the idea is like it limits the amount of, you know, zone run games love to get double teams. You know, they want to be able to try to double as many of those guys as they can and then work off those double teams to get to your linebackers. But when all of your linemen are covered, well, then it just turns into a lot of one-on-one blocking, right? And then as a defense, it comes down to, all right, I just need to win one of these blocks, right? If I can win one of these uh, individual matchups here, then I can get penetration in the backfield and I can make some tackles, right? And we can, we can get some stuff done. Um, and it just wasn't happening that way. Like no. they, they would get in the, those fronts and, uh, and they would just get completely blocked out of it and they, you get a hole open regardless. Um, and then, yeah, then they just would exacerbate all of those issues, um, with the weird mental mistakes and, and things like, yeah. you know, Darnell Savage just forgetting essentially how to even read the play and read his keys and just being so locked in on, on whatever George Kittle's doing that even seconds into the play when he has clearly established himself as a blocker, he's still not like looking for like, where is the ball? It happened with the Debo reverse. I think the second yeah. Debo reverse yep. where Savage is just staring at Kittle. Kittle is blocking. And meanwhile, Debo is literally flashing across his face. And it's not until that happens that he like kind of breaks his spell and goes, Oh crap, I gotta go tackle that guy. And and it's not like like those end arounds aren't quick developing plays, right? They're not like jet sweeps where he's got the ball immediately after the snap and he's yeah. flying around the edge. Like this is a play that takes a minute to kind of set up, and he's coming from the opposite side of the field toward Darnell Savage. And he is like to the point where he's already running, having the ball and like nearly to the line of scrimmage before Savage even realizes like what the hell's going on and like looks away from Kittle like, oh shit, maybe I should like go here and try to, because like to be clear, Kittle's not trying to block him. Yeah. (laughs) Kittle is, is trying to block someone else. Savage is just standing there watching all of this happen. He's not being blocked. No one is trying to do anything to him. Yeah. It's, um, it's bad. It's really bad. And it's crazy. To me, I think the, the, the untold story, and maybe it's not the untold story, but, you know, Raheem Mostert, rightfully so, gets a lot of the credit for this game. You know, Raheem Mostert's the only NFL player in history with 150 plus rush yards and three rushing touchdowns in a single half of a playoff game. Um, he played a really, really good game, and he did cause some missed tackles, either with stiff arm or with his speed, because um, that's the other thing where the, the Packers didn't help himself was trying to tackle. Um, I mean, they just yeah. they failed at basic football is really what the, the takeaway is. But I think that what uh, and Raheem Mostert, I think, is a really fun story. He was cut six times. He keeps the cut dates from all the teams that cut him as a note on his phone and looks at it. I think it was I think it was Roger Sherman in the ringer who wrote that it's like he is like if Arya Stark ran a four three forty. 
just keeping the list of names, the list of teams that he reads to himself every night before bed. Uh, and, and I think that that is a fun story and a good story. I'm glad that Raheem Mostert is seeing some success, but he has none of that success if not for that 49ers offensive line. And, and you look at what Staley Tomlinson and specifically Ben Garland did in this game. The, the play that you described earlier where you, you've got Green Bay in a bare front and every single one of the defensive linemen gets reached. One-on-one, every single one of the interior line wins their block, defeats their man. And that's exactly why you can get big yards in the run game, even if the other team knows you're going to run. Like the offensive line just executed so well. And and I do think that especially in the last two games, Ben Garland has played really, really well as a run blocker and he doesn't get talked about a lot. And at least in these two games, I think he should. Yeah, absolutely. He was great. Um, You know, I think this, the entire effort from those guys up front, I mean, um, Staley, you know, was, was fantastic in this one. McGlinchey is, is, you know, always been a really strong run blocker, obviously in this game was no exception. Like, um, you know, Tomlinson even had some, some really great blocks in there. Like this, I mean, it was the whole unit that, that was just blocking really well. And I think, yeah, the thing that you can do, you know, the best thing you can do as a running back or really, I mean, kind of the only thing is it, when you have those opportunities presented to you, right, you, you're set up for success by the scheme. You have an offensive line that's going out there and executing well, and you're, you're able to kind of get through the line of scrimmage unscathed and, and get up into open space. And then you got to make the most of that, right? You got to, and that's where I think the, the 49ers backs in general, just with the amount of speed that they have at that position. Um, that's kind of how this whole thing is designed, right? Is it's just like, Shanahan's essentially saying like, look, I'm confident enough that we're going to get you into space, uh, at least often enough, you know, for how, how much we're going to run the ball. And I just need guys that can fly and get through yeah. those holes and, and pick up these, these chunk plays. Um, and yeah, I mean, credit to Mostert for getting into space, making guys miss once he was there, really maximizing the yardage that they're gaining on these plays. And I mean, they were ripping off chunks, you know, you don't, you don't see run games, um, average eight nine ten yards a carry like it's just not a thing that happens now what what i do find interesting in terms of storyline that comes out of this is a lot of people were saying you know between derrick henry and raheem mostert the the run game is back as a thing that that we've got to talk about in the playoffs And, and i find that line of thinking one interesting but two still kind of a little misguided right because i think it presumes that the the analytics twitter which i think people would lump us into um would which hey man lump me in with people that analyze things i like that that's fine um they would say that you know oh look the running game is important and and i think that kind of misunderstands the takeaway from being snarky and saying like running backs don't matter right right ultimately that's a roll-up of a couple of different arguments but the key argument there is do the thing that works the most and generally speaking that's pass the ball passing the ball is generally more effective than running the football in almost every case, you look at EPA, teams are generally negative in terms of expected points added when they run the ball. If for some reason that ends up being positive or you end up, I don't know, averaging as many rush yards as you do pass yards, then you should probably run the ball some more. And that's yeah. the situation the Niners found themselves in. They found themselves in averaging like nine yards a carry, which is absurd. The success <laughs> rate especially on their core or key runs, like the, the G lead pulls and the inside and outside zone and the trap plays, their success rate was over 80% on those plays alone. The, you're, you're getting positive chunk yardage from your running game. So yeah, analytics in that case would say, keep running the damn ball. Right, yeah. I mean, anything that's going to move the ball that effectively is going to be something that you want to continue doing, right? We're, I'm not gonna, we're, we don't need to get into the, the run game versus pass game stuff as a whole. But I think just like looking at this game, just to give you an idea of like how effective they were in this game relative to like success that we would normally see reserved for the passing game. Right. So when you look at it, kind of the first three quarters before they really just started, you know, trying to grind clock and, and you know, your fourth quarter, kind of a different animal when you're in a blowout like that and things become less efficient because it really doesn't matter. You're not concerned with, gaining the most yards, you're just trying to bleed clock. So if you, you kind of focus on the first three quarters there and then focus in on, again, those core run plays, any of the zone-based run plays that they were doing, they were basically, from, from an EPA standpoint, so those are the ones where you said success rate over 80%. From an EPA standpoint, they're averaging basically two-thirds of a point per play, which is 
insane. Absurd. So the the context there, right? If you look at the best passing offenses this season over the course of a season, um, the Chiefs are, are number one pass offense by EPA per play. They averaged about a quarter of a point, about point two five ish um, expected points per time that they drop back. You're basically like what tripling that. With, yeah. with how effective the, the 49ers were running the ball in this game. So it's like, this isn't your normal everyday run game that we saw no. in this. Like, this is what uh, was kind of a dominant effort that you just don't really see very much of. Yeah, I was texting a friend of mine, and he and we were going back and forth on the whole running thing because he had some stat about Derrick Henry. And, uh, and he was like, oh, see, the running game doesn't matter. And I was like, yes, when you run at a historic pace and have a historic yeah. effort, and absolutely, the running game does matter because you're making history. And it's fun to watch that history go. Um, yeah. Because it just, it's, man, how demoralizing must it have been? I can't even put myself in that frame of mind to know what's coming and just literally have no ability to stop it. Like, even as we were watching it, uh, and I, like, obviously excited because you, like, realized pretty early on, like, this is looking good. We're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, but then there's still, like, every once in a while, like, something would happen in the game. And I'm just like... God, I I kind of feel bad for the Packers. Like this yeah. is just so ugly right now, and they're just getting their ass beat so bad that yeah. I just like kind of feel bad for them right now. So now on defense, the Niners also played a fairly good game, except for some of that garbage time stuff near at the end of the game. And and I think my takeaway when I watch the game is that when the defense is playing assignment sound football, they're gonna be hard to beat. And that's exactly what the Niners did against the Green Bay Packers. They played assignment sound football and put themselves in an opportunity and in a place to make plays when they needed to. Yeah, I mean, it's half the battle, right? It's just like being in the right spot and and being not not allowing guys to run free in the secondary. I think you, you look at one of the biggest differences from last season to this season with their pass coverage. And it's like last year, it felt like they could barely go a possession without having some sort of major bust or breakdown on the back end and just having guys like literally running free wide open with no one around. Akella Witherspoon's yeah. body isn't even cold. <laughs> like, it, and it just happened all the time. Like, it, it minimum, it was happening several times a game. Yeah. Right. And it was just, uh, it's just, does that, you just like can't possibly play good defense when those things are happening. This year, that rarely happens. Like every defense, even the best defenses are going to have little uh, miscommunications and stuff like that that pop up every once in a while. And the Niners are no exception to that. But by and large, like they are uh, where they are supposed to be. Like you you don't have those same receivers that are running wide open when nobody in their vicinity. Um, it just doesn't happen like that. You have guys that are, again, assignment sound near receivers. And that's just like the the bare minimum that you need, right? Once you put yourself in that position, now you're at least in position to, you haven't, you know, completely eliminated the possibility of success on the play for the offense, right? You're not necessarily saying, okay, we're, we're locking everybody down, but you're just kind of there. And then you can take advantage of mistakes, right? From the offense. Like last year, things were so bad. Even when you would get misses from the quarterback, um, you know, stuff that could have been dangerous throws, like, nobody's around to really take advantage of those. And, and this year that's obviously been much different. You get a lot of, a lot more turnovers this year. And yeah, the Mosley interception, I think is a great example of that, where you have a guy in good position to take advantage of an errant throw from Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So let's talk about that interception a little bit, because it, it's a really fun adjustment to a formation that can really cause some problems for defenses. So, you know, you've got your basic structures of the defense. You've got your cover threes, your cover twos and whatnot, but what ends up happening is sometimes the formation will provide problems that that defensive structure can't solve. And when you think of cover three, a three by one alignment from the offense is going to be really difficult to cover when you're in a cover three zone. It's just because you've got three receivers that can all run verticals. And really, you've only got two people on one side of the field that can cover that deep vertical. And so you're already playing at a numbers disadvantage. So a three by one uh, formation from an offense is really, really difficult for a straight up cover three to manage. And so what you've got then are you've got adjustments to that cover three. And one of the common ones is Mabel. We've covered it on the pod before, but one that the Niners used and that they used in this game against the Green Bay Packers is six buzz skate. That's confusing as a holy get out because you, you see the six and you think to yourself, it's cover six. It's really not. It's, it's still cover three, but what it does is it 
still plays man, Meg, every, man everywhere he goes, or Meg, to the one receiver side. And then that allows you to basically play four over three zone coverage over the three wide receiver side. Um, and it basically wrote the how you play or, or what dictates the six buzz skate is who you buzz, who, who your buzz player is. Um, and that's ultimately going to be the difference in the assignment from just like a regular cover three or cover three Mabel. So, David, what's the difference between buzz and sky? Because that's ultimately what makes this an adjustment for a three by one. Right. So really, you have like three main flavors uh, without even without getting too far, like into rotations and stuff like that, like three rotations that you can get to, I guess, in cover three. Right. Depending on who's going to be your curl flat player. Um, you have sky buzz and cloud. Those are the three each. Uh, again, football coaches aren't the most creative bunch. So each of those just refers to essentially the position of the player that's playing that role. Right. So cloud is I'm going to have a cornerback in that role buzz backer i'm a linebacker doing that and then sky safety um i would say like uh cover three sky is probably the the version that most people if you just like imagine cover three in your head if you've seen like any sort of diagram that that kind of shows you a basic cover three it's probably sky and and that's i have two linebackers now in the middle of the field as my hook defenders and then I've got that safety that's coming down, that's playing the curl flat area, kind of more toward the sideline, right? Out numbers uh, area there. And so what Buzz does is basically just swaps the assignment of that safety in one of the linebackers. So now I have my linebacker that's the one getting width and getting outside to get to that curl flat area. And the safety is more dropping straight down um, in, into that hook area. And so the thing that the reason this is helpful against three by one and, and kind of how the 49ers do it and, and, and other teams that, um, play a lot of this single high kind of, you know, Seattle based cover three scheme is they keep that safety high. Cause a lot of times what you're worried about in uh, three by one is that inside most receiver, right? So the number three receiver um, teams love to run him on crossing routes, deep crossing routes. And so as a linebacker, normally the guy in that kind of base cover three, right? The sky version. Um, I have a linebacker that's got to turn and run with that guy. And that's usually just not a good matchup for me. I've got a good not, receiver. Not in there. everyone's Fred Warner. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not everyone's uh, Reuben Foster or you know, Patrick Willis. Right? Let's, let's go there. Yeah, we don't speak uh, Reuben Foster's name. I know. Yeah. Sorry. He was really <laughs> great at that, though. That's that one thing. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it's, it's a really tough play for a linebacker. There's not a lot of linebackers really in football that can do that consistently well. Right. You have you could probably count them on one hand. Yeah. Um, and so what you do is you get now a more athletic player, better coverage player. that's also coming from a more advantageous position. So rather than a lot of teams, you know, they're pairing this with play action. So that linebacker is already coming up a little bit toward the line of scrimmage. And he's got to turn his back and, and basically bail out. And it's tough, right? And so that safety, he can see everything coming. He's not, you know, coming up. Um, he's coming from more depth. So even if he's coming up a little bit for run action, right, he's still kind of settling into the area that you want to be. And you see him just sit on the route, basically. His his immediate reaction is like, I'm opening, I'm finding that number three receiver, and I'm looking for that crossing route. And this is what I'm going to take away. And so um, when he plays it well, like it, it does a fantastic job at taking that route away. And so that's what you see here. So I think it was Jimmy Ward that's the yep. safety that's dropping down in this case takes away the crossing route from the number three receiver. And so Rogers, then he's, you know, he knows it's single high. He knows what coverage they're playing. He looks over then to the next guy. So you have the, the crossing route, basically two guys threatening the safety, right? The crossing route and then somebody else in the seam. So he sees the crosser taken away. All right, I'm going to throw the seam there. And that's when it gets to Mosley. And, and you see him kind of coming over from his cornerback position to be able to get to that route. And then he's just, again, it's a guy that, he hasn't necessarily made a jump on it, you know, so well that that this is going to be intercepted no matter what. But he's in really good position and he's in a spot to take advantage of a missed throw from Rodgers. He's got a relatively tough assignment there because he's basically got to split the middle between two verticals that are threatening his area. So he can't just stick to one guy or the other. He's basically got to split the difference, wait for the quarterback to declare and then make a move. But he plays it really well. And it's a bad throw from Rodgers. It's behind where he needs to be. He can probably fit it over the underneath defender and get it to the wide receiver. But but I think what, what the thing is here is that Mosley's playing it perfectly. And because he is, he's in a position to capitalize on a poor throw. And, and so that defensive structure is one the Niners love to play. It's an adjustment to that three by one. And they didn't do anything crazy. It's just everyone was in the right spot. Everyone played it well. 
and they put themselves in a position to take advantage of a mistake from a quarterback that did not have a great game despite his stat line. And it, you know, it doesn't, it, it sounds maybe like we're trying to take a little bit away from Mosley, which is not the case like at all, right? Like uh, it's a great play. And I think, but it's just one that highlights, I think, kind of how far this, this defense has come where it was like, these are things that didn't happen to them last year, right? Yeah. Like uh, they, this was a throw that even though it was a bad throw that it probably just falls incomplete because the corner is not even in good enough position to be able to, to, to pick this pass off. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so I think that's, it's just a play that stuck out that obviously was a big play in the game for the 49ers, you know, still first half here is uh, what was it in the two minute drill. Yeah. Kind of Rogers trying to get down there and get some points. It really was the play um, that kind of like put the nail in the coffin. That's yeah. when like when you, when you, when they get yep. the interception, the Niners turn around and like, Oh crap, we've got the ball again and can score. It's like, okay, this is, this is getting out of hand. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's just like that. that it's the play that's like, yeah, nothing, nothing's going right for them right now. Like, uh, it's just not their yeah. day. They're not going to be able to get it done. Yeah, because when you think about the plays that the Niners or that the, the Packers were able to get later on in the game, you're you're really looking at plays that were not executed well from players on the 49ers defense. You think to the dig route that looked like it was completed on Mosley, but ultimately that's on Fred Warner not getting enough depth in his drop and giving up that intermediate area that Rodgers took advantage of. You think of the deep pass to Devontae Adams. That's Richard Sherman just... Not he does this really weird thing where he does a spin at the line of scrimmage for some reason. I'm not sure entirely why, um, but he does it. He ends up getting beat deep. Doesn't happen often, but hey, offense. he also just does these th- this thing where he's kind of slow now, <laughs> so he can't run that fast. Uh, offensive players get paid too, and <laughs> yeah. and it was definitely something where it just it it wasn't necessarily the soundest of technique, yeah. and, and he got beat. And, and so those things though are not common. And when the Niners are playing well within the structure. Um, they're they're going to make it difficult for teams to try to matriculate down the field on you. I think teams have some some ridiculously low number of really explosive plays in the Niners. I tried looking it up, but I couldn't find it. Yeah, um, it's it's they they are uh, among the best, if not the best, defense in the NFL this at season. Limiting explosive at, plays, at taking away those deep throws. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I would say the the one to you know the one on Sherman is the only play where I would say like that was just the Packers for that one play kind of being better, right? Yeah. Like Ro- like Adams beat him at the line of scrimmage, ran by him a little bit. Rodgers makes a great throw. You know, it was obviously by far his best throw of the day yeah. um, on, on on a ball that traveled like, what, 40, 50 yards in the air. So, yeah. like, that, hell, that's, that's going to happen. If, like, quarterback can make that throw, hit him on the money, like, shit, all right, you know, whatever. On to the next play type of thing. Um, but everything else they got, you know, the big play to Graham was like the one major bust that they had on the day where they didn't have a guy in the right place. Um, and, and it was a, like a lot of what the Packers did get even late were still like things from the few mistakes that the Niners got right when they were playing um, sound like it, it really didn't they, they didn't allow hardly anything. Yeah, so you think of the, the Packers running just north of 60 plays or so. Uh, and so they're going to have one play where they're better than the Niners. So yeah, we'll give them 1.6%. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, good. I'm good with those numbers. <laughs> yeah, 1.6% of instances in which the Packers are better than the Niners. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's the basically it. I mean, it was... Uh, I love boring games. I love games where you can just sit and revel uh-huh. in the... the gl- bask in the glow of what is an amazing game from the Niners offense from the running game. Um, you know, I, I'm not too worried about it. people who left this game worried about Jimmy Garoppolo, um, are having the wrong takeaway from this game. Um, I mean, you, I don't know I'm, if you're going to worry I'm, about I might Jimmy, raise my hand there. If but. you're going to Jimmy about, if you're going to worry about Jimmy Garoppolo, it's not because he didn't throw in this game. It's because of the stuff that he showed when he was throwing. Sure. Um, it, it's not because the Niners are necessarily running the ball here. I mean, it, again, you, when you're able to, to run at nine, 10 yards a clip, when you're able to just run all over them and they can't stop you why bother doing anything else? Yeah, um, and sure. so the, the takeaway here is not, oh my God, they're hiding Jimmy. The The takeaway is like, yeah, when you can do something as effective as the Niners did and completely dominate and, and make this team look like it's SEC versus FBS, then yeah, just keep doing it. Yeah, I, I mean, it really was like, you know, Alabama fucking just kicking the <laughs> shit out of the Citadel or something like that. Citadel? And, and it was just it's like... Not, they don't even give him the, the directional school. Like, you don't even get a direction. Yeah, it's like fucking Delaware State out here. And it's like, man, <laughs> come on now. Like, oh my uh, God. yeah, it, it was just ugly. Um, I mean, that, there's no other way to put it. Like, they, they just 
completely dominated that game. Um, it was really never in doubt. And um, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a great way to, to, to roll into the Super Bowl. Championship man. Sunday. Now, we are not going to talk about the Chiefs game this week. We have one more week. Of course, it's a two-week delay between now and the Super Bowl. So next week, we will indeed be back on Tuesday, actually, to preview the Super Bowl uh, against the Chiefs because there's lots to do there. But that doesn't mean the show today is done. We're going to take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors, and we're going to come back with a return of the lightning round. Hey, it's back. Uh, I figured, hey, we're back in the Super Bowl. Let's bring back some of the old tricks. Uh, So we're going to go to the lightning (laughs) round, and and then we'll have a really fun discussion uh, about which team was better, the last team that went to the Super Bowl for the 49ers, that 2012 team, or the current team, the 2019 team. So we're taking just a brief break, and we'll be right back. All right, David. Lightning round for those that are uninitiated and to remind you as well, because it's been a minute. I feel like I'm going to do poorly here. We're, it's basically trivia. I'm going to go through these questions. You're going to give me the first answer that pops in your head. I'm going to tell you you're wrong and then we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's start. I'm going to start my timer. I don't, I don't really have a timer, yeah. uh, but here we go. Name the only other team to win a playoff game with fewer than 10 pass attempts. Oh, man, I'm getting so lucky on this one because uh, Kevin Clark on the Ringer podcast mentioned this, and I happened to listen to that today. Uh, it was the Dolphins, That's one exactly. of the they, 70s team Dolphins. They did it twice. twice. Yeah, They did it in 72 and 74. The 73 team, which went undefeated, actually had 72. the ball. I think 72. 72, yeah, yeah. yeah is the one that went yeah. undefeated, yeah. Um, okay, so Raheem Mostert holds the record for most rushing yards in a playoff game for the 49ers, who was second. Who is second for the 49ers? Correct. Um, I'm going to say most likely going to be Roger Craig or Ricky Waters. I'll go Ricky Waters. It is Colin Kaepernick. Oh, yeah. Okay. Man. Yeah. Indeed. Now, who is second overall in terms of any game? Because this also broke the record for most rushing yards for the 49ers. Full stop. Oh, just in oh, in a, in oh, a gotcha. game. Uh, Garrison Hurst, Frank Gore, Frank Gore, two hundred and twelve yards. Okay, I can't remember if that one where Hurst had like the the ninety nine yard or ninety eight yard or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, against the New York Jets in yeah, overtime. Yeah. yeah, that's still one of my favorite plays ever. Oh, right it's, awesome. it's, it's so yeah. good. Um, all right, so name the one team that's never won an NFC Championship game. Ooh. Um, the Lions? It is the Lions. Wow, look at you. They are 0-1 in NFC Championship games. They are the only team that's never yeah, won. I was going to say, I can't remember them ever going to a Super Bowl. So. Yeah. Um, the largest comeback in NFC Championship game history was done by whom? I don't know. I, I can't stop thinking about the AFC Championship game, the one, the, the Bills-Oilers. That's the only... You would be thinking about the wrong conference. Oh, and that wasn't... Well, yeah, I, I mean, I know that's wrong, but I, that wasn't... <laughs> I actually think that... Was that in the championship game? Too? I have I no might have clue. been com- just completely off. The yeah, Better Rivals know. Research Department feeds me very specific facts. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I have no idea. It's going to be the San Francisco 49ers, 17-point deficit, coming back in 2012. Oh, Wow. Okay. Yep. All right. The 49ers have been in four NFC Championship games since 2010. Who in the NFC has more championship game appearances in that span? Saints? The answer is no one. They have the most number of appearances. Bullshit question. Well, technically, uh, the Packers actually also have four appearances since 2010. That would have been my next one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that does it for the lightning round. All right. I didn't do as terribly as I thought. I got at least a couple. You got, you didn't not, you knocked the rust off. It was pretty good. (laughs) You know, you you did better than Darnell Savage trying to stop the run. It's it's okay. All right. I'll take it. That's that's the level. We've now graduated <laughs> from Jordan Debbie and moved to Darnell Savage, not staring at the back of Kittle's head. <laughs> All right, so let's get to a, a, a fun discussion, I think, to wrap up today's show. And really, it's the last time the Niners have been in the Super Bowl since 2012. And Mike GG, longtime listener on Twitter, he sent me a tweet and he's like, what do you think? Which team is better? He put a Twitter poll. Is the 2012 team better or the 2019 team better? And, and in the poll, incidentally, spoiler alert, but the 2019 team wins by a landslide. And so for the purposes of this discussion, let, let's actually frame it in a way that, that 
isn't going to allow too much revisionist history to come in because we know what happened with the 2012 team. So yeah. it's a little difficult. So for the purposes of, the, of this discussion, let's talk about if the 2012 team and the, tw- and the 2019 team were going to win uh, or we're going to play a game, who would win that game? In that, with those players' performances in that one year. So not Colin Kaepernick in 2014, Colin Kaepernick in 2012. Yeah. You know, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, Justin uh, Justin Smith, and now, of course, you've got the 2019 version of the Niners as well. Um, so given those parameters, David, which team do you think would win a game? Again, one singular game, a Super Bowl between Niners, 2012 or 2019? I mean, I, th- I think... Uh, I mean, I think it's close. I, I think I would go with the 2012 team as well. Um, yeah, I would too. I think it's, you know, it's it's really f- easy to fall into the recency bias trap there. And, and this team has been great. And I think that this team has also been like a lot of fun to root for as well. Like just has a lot of fun players on there. Um, and and it's just kind of been a fun ride for them to go from the second pick in the draft to, you know, being in the Super Bowl. So like, uh, um I, I think that this team is is obviously talented. Like you don't get really to a Super Bowl with with just a, a shit roster. So in their depth, I mean, one of the things, one of the stories of this year that we we may forget now that they're in the Super Bowl, but their depth has been tested at several spots, at several yeah. key spots, at tackle, at center, uh, at linebacker, um, even at wide receiver to a certain degree. Not because. Um, players I mean, got in the secondary injured. again, yeah, a little bit. Not not as bad as last year, obviously. Yeah. But um, but but the the team that's I think you know injuries are a way of life in the NFL. And outside of an injury to your quarterback, it really good teams have the ability to overcome those injuries, and that's exactly what this 49ers team has done. Yeah, it, it's just I, I think when you start looking at, I mean, it's one on one hand, it's a little tough to compare because they are like even in seven years, right? Uh, the, the differences in like kind of how the teams yeah. are built and um, what's important to be able to take away as a defense today versus, you know, how important that was in, in 2012. I mean, you look at that 2012 defense and the front seven was just so insane. Um, I mean, you had obviously Bowman and Willis there that were kind of the anchor of everything that they did defensively during that time. You had Alden Smith. Um, yeah, Alden Smith, peak Alden Smith right there. Justin and peak, Smith. Peak Alden Smith was really, really good Alden Smith. I, I mean, mean, he's the guy who yeah. defined speed to power for me. Like when I think speed to power, that's the person that I imagine in my head. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to forget because of the way everything ended with him, uh, how freakishly good he was for those like first couple seasons yeah. you know, when, he, when he came in there. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think... Uh, the the front was incredible and just was the way they were able to stop the run with like you know we talk about like just in we spent a whole bunch of time talking about how the packers like trying to get extra guys in the box and you know usually that's how you want to do it you want to be you know have a kind of a numbers advantage there like having the front that they did allowed them to basically play too high the wide majority of the time and still to stop the run because all of those guys up there were so good, so good yeah. um, that it just didn't matter. And it allowed them to do so many things. And it helped a secondary that maybe wasn't the most talented secondary, but had, you know, a, a lot of solid players and just kind of put them in good positions. And, and so, yeah, I, I think defensively, it's, it's certainly a lot closer. But I, I think, I mean, honestly... I don't know that a lot of people don't like it. I think I think Colin Kaepernick 2012 uh, was clearly a better quarterback to me than Jimmy Garoppolo has been this year. Yeah, I think the the defense is pretty close. I do think that there even the secondary has a couple of corollaries because you think of like a, an older vet that's playing very very well in Carlos Rogers. You've got a younger player who is up and coming that's played well in Chris Culliver. Um, and, and you've got Terrell Brown, who hook him horns. We forget how good he was for a few years. Uh, he was yep. pretty good. And, and he was a smaller corner, but he was, I think, a, a very, very good corner. And, and man, you look the at safeties. This, I mean, yeah, the, the Whitner, Sean Goldson yeah, and, and Whitner, Goldson. Yeah. I mean, they were and, and Goldson was really, really fast. And, and he covered a ton of ground. He would just fit that scheme so well. Too. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a really, really good scheme all around. And of course, they've got, uh, I think, a defensive coordinator that put them in positions to succeed. But when you go to the offense, I think the, the offense, I, I agree, is where the 2012 team takes it. Not not just because of when you really think about it now, the revolutionary offense that they were running. I mean, the Ravens are running currently just about the exact same offense. And everyone's talking about how Lamar Jackson's a better quarterback in that system than Colin Kaepernick. And I think as a passer, the 2012 season or 2012 version of Colin Kaepernick 
is very comparable to this version of Lamar Jackson. Uh, if anything, he's probably better on deeper throws because uh, his deep accuracy for that one year was absurd. Dude, yeah, I mean, as as a thrower for that season, I mean, there's there's re- I mean, I was I was thinking like trying to think back to a lot of the podcasts that we did during that time and and just like remembering the difference between, you know, going from Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick at that time. And like one of the things that that I remember talking about a bunch was just like how much he opened up the downfield passing attack for them, right? And and that was kind of the big thing. Obviously, brought a, a completely different element when you talk about what he could do in the run game and, and everything that they were able to add there. But as a thrower, um, was also just such a huge upgrade for that season. And and you know the downfield accuracy was there, and they were just able to pick up these chunk plays in the passing game. Um, that, that I don't know that like the, the 49ers right now have to rely on, I mean, they're a passing game that's largely short and intermediate, right? Jimmy's mostly going to keep the ball under 15 yards in the air. And so it really comes down to Shanahan being able to get guys open so that those guys can run after the catch. That's the way that they generate their explosive plays, right? It's not by throwing behind you it's you don't see plays like the Rodgers to Devontae Adams play right here like they, this offense just doesn't do it yeah um, they do the the plays that you're going to see that are close to that are going to be crossing routes deep crossers or like post corners like the deep one to Kittle yeah. they had against the Packers right um and, but, but even that one to get a throw that far downfield it had to be so perfect. open yeah. right like it was so wide open that's what can actually get him to pull the trigger on those. you look at 2012 Colin Kaepernick he played 11 games he attempted 33 deep passes for quarterbacks that had at least 30 deep attempts Colin Kaepernick led the NFL in a quarterback rating on deep throws. He threw deep on 15.1% of his pass. He had five touchdowns, almost 600 yards, just one interception. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's absurd how good he was throwing it deep. And and I mean, a lot of it was... What what does that say? His adjusted completion percentage is there? Is it like 60%? His adjusted completion percentage is 60%. Anything that approaches like 40% is damn good. Yeah, usually like your leaders are like maybe hover to 50. Yeah. Like this year, Joe Flacco was second uh, and he is at 40%. Uh, in terms of NFL quarterback rating, if you just look overall, Aaron Rodgers is second at 53% adjusted completion. Cam Newton, 52%. Peyton yeah. Manning, 51%. More. Yeah. yeah. Colin Kaepernick is like besting them by 9%. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, that was the whole, like the, the whole argument when we were going into like, um, you know, what is, is Colin Kaepernick going to be the franchise guy? Like, is it, can he sustain the success type of thing? Like when we were looking at it for reasons, like why that would be the case. I mean, this was one of the first things that you brought up, right. Was just like, he's effective throwing the ball on these like difficult downfield throws. Like he was such an improvement there. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that was like a thing that you kind of at the time expected that to like, to or it was like, if that does continue, like right. that's, that's why he's going to continue to be a very good player. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think there was just kind of like this dynamic ability to the passing game that was there. Um, obviously, the run game was. Yeah, still... I think you look at the run. I think the offensive line for the 2012 version of the Niners was better than this version of the Niners oh, yeah. because you've yep. got Staley in his prime. Uh, you've got Alex Boone. You've got Daniel Kilgore, who was actually playing guard at this point. Uh, Mike Upati. I forget he's still in the NFL. Like yeah. Mike Upati is still suiting up for the I mean, Cardinals. it's uh, it's fine if you wanted to forget and just remember the 2012 version because yeah. it's not as good anymore. Uh, Jonathan Goodwin playing center. And this version of the Niners had a fullback, Bruce Miller, that actually in 2012 played better than this version of the 49ers fullback. And Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, Juice, don't go punching any 80-year-olds. <laughs> please, please don't. Please don't. Don't do that. I, I would appreciate it if you didn't. But I think, you know, you've got Delaney Walker, Vernon Davis, I mean, you, they had weapons. Colin, I, I yeah. think Crabtree, for like two or three years, played incredible. Oh, uh, I mean, that, stre- that stretch uh, with Kaepernick was the best stretch of, of Crabtree's, Crabtree's career. career. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, you even had that 2012 year, you had uh, Mario Manningham and a washed-up Randy Moss. I think the wide receiving core as a unit was overall better yeah. than the current unit of the Niners. I think, you know, th- this is where it's like one game, yeah. one season, right? Y- you look at... I think a very different question, which is, you know, project them forward. We know what happened with the 2012 team, but this 2019 team, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but you look at players like Debo Samuel, you think to yourself, yeah, like I'd much rather have him than Mario Manningham. 
Um, sure. Yeah, I, I think yeah, projecting it forward is is uh, is obviously it's a, a different bit exercise. of a different animal, and and not something I think uh, really want to get into right now because you know I don't I don't it's it's That's just for a, a tough, later pod. Yeah, it's a it's a tough question. So it's, what, but I think it's interesting to look at these two teams and in that light and like um, and realize that like yeah you know things obviously didn't go well there like and it just yeah. kind of is a reminder that like in this as much as we want these like teams to be good for the the long haul right Ever, and everybody's yeah. trying to like reach that level of the the brady belichick patriots where you're just you know you're going to be good for 15 20 years or whatever it is like really hard to do you, you thought that was going to be the case with these hardball niners in 2012 like it looked like they were set up for it and then it just went away and so i think it it, it in a way like more appreciative of like this opportunity like to go to the super bowl like yeah. I, f- I feel like man i i really need it like it at the 2012 season it was like this felt like the first of what's going to be surely many yeah right they're just going to keep going back like that's how it's going to be now it's like ah shit i don't know maybe they don't get back you know who knows what happens so what what do you think the final score of the game between the 2012 and 2019 team is i don't know i i think uh ah man i think it's actually probably as much as the defenses for i feel like both teams got a lot more of the publicity um i actually feel like it, it ends up fairly high scoring yeah, like, I, I do too. I, I think I think each offense can kind of uh, get it because I, I think like each offense just for what they were doing at that time did such a good job at like creating opportunities and scheming things up. Yeah. And, and I, I felt like they would have both been able to um, come with some pretty good plans and and been able to like, yeah, make some stuff happen. You know, you know that Shanahan's going to have like a few trick plays, a few wrinkles in there like. Yeah, I don't know. It, w- it would have been fun. It would have been fun yeah. to kind of watch that. Maybe there's a, a Madden simulation out there uh, in our future. We'll see. Uh, I played Madden 20 with my little brothers over the Christmas break. I haven't played Madden in like six years. Yes. Um, I think the last time I played was actually at your house, whatever the last game you bought was. Uh, yeah, it was about six years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that does it for this edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Definitely tune in next week because we will be back previewing the Super Bowl, the game against the Chiefs going to be a single game sample let's see what bag of tricks shanahan can pull out because he hasn't pulled out any passing tricks so far uh, i think he's got a little bit left in the clip to unload uh, you can always follow me on twitter at better rivals david where can they follow you that'll be at pff underscore david thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners <laughs>